and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel as we talk Heart of Midlothian after, I guess, crashing back down to earth following the somewhat highs of winning a semi-final at Hampden Park. It was back to reality at Tincastle Park as Hearts lost to Rangers. Uh, luckily for Mark Donaldson, who is joining me, Laurie Dunsett, today, he didn't have to watch any of it. No, and I still haven't. And it's the first time <laughs> I've not seen a Hearts goal in years. I'm sure I'll find it, but I'm not making any effort. Normally, you open up with um, a podcast dedicated to, and last week it was Scottish Cup finalists. I didn't hear a title this week. Do you not have one for Hearts this week? No. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel. <laughs> Apathy. <laughs> That's Well, look, you threw me right under the bus last week. Because we're in the car, <laughs> my wife says to me, Sex Park? <laughs> bastard dunsire. So do us a favour, just call this one apathy. We don't even have to, you've, you've already come up with it. You've, you've, you've done it right at the start. Just call episode 31 apathy. Doesn't matter where we go, and you know, we never script this, so we could go anywhere over the next hour. But just, <laughs> just cock Annie, son, because <laughs> that took some explaining. Goodness. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Okay, just play the sound of silence and then just, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Depeche mode, enjoy yeah, the silence. That's indeed. it. <laughs> How are you anyway? Because I didn't see the game. My mum and dad, season ticket holders were there, pissed off. My dad's just getting really angry at them right now. And he's 78 years old. <laughs> he could be doing better things than becoming mm. miserable every week um and my mum's grumpy as well um because she's not enjoying what she's watching and every one of my pals that's a hearts fan was just apathetic so talk to me talk to me because i can't give you anything in the game well we'll get to the game in a moment i mean one thing on that because you know my dad's um in his 70s as well and similar sort of feeling about hearts at the moment and it's interesting what you say about that kind of feeling of frustration and, and apathy. And you see a lot of fans bickering with each other just now. And there's obviously some, some empty spaces at Tyne Castle and people talking about not renewing or not going to the Edinburgh Derby. And, you know, some people have a go at them for not going. And um, it's an interesting one because it's different from my situation because obviously I go regardless of, of, of how I feel about the game. I'm not paying for it as such, which I'm very fortunate in. Um, and I know lots of Hearts fans who will go regardless, you know, if we're terrible, if we're getting relegated, if we're winning the league, it doesn't matter, they'll go and a lot of them are local. But I think it's difficult to criticise Hearts fans as a whole just because some people don't want, don't go or don't wish to because you don't know people's financial situation. And in terms of, for instance, my dad or a couple of my mates who are up north, I mean, my dad stays up in Aberdeenshire. It's quite a lot of travelling and effort if the game's going to be dire. And I can understand some weeks at the moment, he's got a season ticket and he doesn't always bother going now because it's his entire Saturday written off. It's not just, and you know, it's in the car a lot of the time as well. So it's not even like you get to go to the pub afterwards like I do with a few guys. So one thing I think can be difficult, Hearts fans are, some Hearts fans are quick to have a go if people aren't turning up. But it's not as easy for everyone and it's not as easy for everyone financially or logistically and, I think the danger is Hearts will always have a core support. I don't expect 
if we lose every game and lose a cup final, I don't expect 5,000 people are going to turn up at Tyne Castle to start of next season. I don't expect it'll be 10. I expect it'll be at least 12. But you will potentially lose a couple of thousand to maybe are either they're not close to Edinburgh or... I'd call them floating. I'd yeah. call them floating, Laurie. Um, those that, if things are going all right, yeah, I'll buy into them. My pals are going. If they aren't going all right, they're like, you know what? Nah, not this year. I'll pick and choose my games. And that's the thing. If hearts are going to grow, they need to... And you could look at, like, Celtic. You know, people said Fergus McCann was crazy when he said, we'll build a 60,000-seater stadium and we'll be able to fill it or at least fill it a lot of the time. You know, Celtic had... a I think it was it was it twenty to thirty thousand crowds back in the early nineties when things were a bit of a struggle. I don't know the numbers exactly. It wasn't a time where I would have all the the stats in my head. I was still Laurie, I was on. I was at Hamden when um, when Hearts played Celtic in the league. Hearts won. David Hagen late on. It was a Wednesday night. I'm going to I'm actually checking as you're speaking here uh, what the attendance was, but I remember I don't think it was much more than about fifteen thousand, and. And they had games whereby there weren't many more than, than 20,000 mm-hmm. at it because there was apathy. So, and, and that's the same anywhere. It's just, I mean, when, when things are going well, look at Leeds right now. Look at Aston Villa right mm-hmm. now with their home yeah. games. Things are going well, irrespective of the division. Success breeds success. Sunderland, I watched their game on Sky against Doncaster. I mean, they probably got an extra 10,000 on the gate because of how they're doing right, right now. And those 10,000 didn't go last season when they were losing games. It's weird. It's it's just it's the apathy, and that's the perfect word yeah. um, for this podcast and the way things are going right now. And that's the thing. I think if Hearts, you know, Hearts have a twenty thousand seater stadium now, and apart from three, maybe four opponents, and by that I mean Hibs, Rangers, Celtic, and potentially Aberdeen, you're not going to get more than maybe two thousand in the away end. So you've got potentially seventeen, eighteen thousand seats for the majority of your games that you want to fill with Hearts fans and fair enough you'll get the 10 to 12,000 Hearts fans will go regardless of fortunes regardless of how good they're playing but Hearts want to build that fan base and it's those potential fair weather and and obviously my dad and people who live away aren't necessarily fair weather it's just a lot of effort for them a lot of work for them to get to games but you've got the fans who it's a lot of effort a lot of traveling a lot of money who who will maybe need it to be, you know, need it to be enticing, need it to be something good to come and watch, an enjoyable match to watch, and those fans who are maybe fair weather, who maybe aren't that bothered about football, or maybe they're they'll, they'll go to Hearts games now and again if if they really feel like it, or even fans who don't exist yet, people who just have moved to Edinburgh, they like football but they want to fit, pick a team, and at the moment, if you move to Edinburgh and you, I guess, went to watch both teams, I tell you what, if if you had no previous allegiances or, or ideas about who you would like, I, I don't think it would be Tynecastle you'd be going back to. No, I'd be down to Ainsley Park to watch Edinburgh <laughs> City because Hibs don't play in Edinburgh, they play in Leith. Um, I remember back in the day when, I always sound like an old fart when I start a sentence <laughs> like that, but I am, I've got a bad back so I feel old. Um, hearts were regularly getting average attendance of under 10,000. I remember games of eight, 9,000 crowds. And it's a cyclical thing. In the, it's a generational thing as well. Look, it'd be interesting to see, and I don't have any figures, and I'm sure that there may be people that, that do, of the kind of median age of the heart support that goes to games right now. Because I think it's been brought down a little by a lot of the, the youngsters that are, mm-hmm. are going to games, uh, a minority of which are idiots. 
um, those that throw things and, and sing stupid songs, but they are a minority. But the majority of the youngsters that, that go, I think, have have brought down the average age. Um, and that's why the, 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 the season ticket sales are up around 14,000. Um, but back in the day, when, when Hearts were unable or didn't or just weren't playing well enough to tap into the, the kind of younger age group at the time, um, they were only getting eight, nine, ten thousand at games. I don't know about you, and uh, I'm weird. We, we know that. I think you, this is episode 31. You've not needed 30 previous episodes to, to find that out. But I have my idiosyncrasies, and one of them is I get annoyed if Hibs' average attendance is higher than Hearts. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's, 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 it's weird. And and they they kind of they did back then. Then we overtook them and all was right again. But now they've got a bigger stadium, and if they got a full house, um, for, for it was funny when when they stopped giving the old firm the full stand. I thought yes, because they'll not fill it, um, and that'll take the average attendance down. And it's it's the whole why are you worrying? I mean, we have a go at Rangers and Celtic fans for obsessing over each other. Yeah, here's me talking about the Hibs average attendance. Um, but it, it's just a little, it's like a badge of honour, um, in that more people go to to watch them on average. Uh, not for your your average Joe games against the Motherwells and St Johnstons and whatever, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did next season because uh, our numbers won't dwindle, but a lot more people will pick and choose, and they'll go up again if we start the season well or if we have a good spot a good patch. And I believe at the moment Hibs did overtake us average attendance wise not too long ago, but I think we are back ahead in that sense just now. <laughs> However, Hibs have. Derby at home and then Aberdeen at home which could potentially have a lot to play for over that one and um, yeah could easily change that again because Hearts have Kilmarnock at home as their last game which obviously won't see as big an away crowd as what Hibs will have for for at least one of their two so it might change and it's going to be it's going to be very minor number wise either way but yeah i guess it's good to see from an edinburgh football point of view but you've got two teams both with average attendances of about seventeen and a half thousand. but i guess what the danger is you said a lot of these young people have been encouraged to come to hearts games and you're right as well that there are a minority who who bring down um uh, who bring hearts down but i think a lot of them are being put off by certain things as well and a lot of them create an atmosphere without crossing certain lines I think so I guess it's just we're in a difficult position right now where people are feeling apathetic the football's not great and that will lead me into I guess starting the show because we're going to talk about Hearts defeat to Rangers we'll have a little bit of fun when we talk about your suggestions for player traits and idiosyncrasies if I can get that word out and we'll have a look ahead to the Edinburgh Derby which is coming this weekend at Easter Road. So first up, we will talk about Hearts Rangers, or I should say, I will briefly talk about Hearts against Rangers because only one of us had to get put through that, and I don't blame Mark for not bothering with watching it after knowing that it was terrible and that Hearts were comfortably beaten. But um, it does mean that it's going to be a bit one-sided. So Hearts won Rangers three. A um, couple of changes to the side that go uh, that won against Inverness at Hamden the week before. Aidan Keena and Peter Haring out. That was enforced changes. Of course, Aidan Keena and also Callum Morrison joining the giant and lengthy season injury list for Hearts. Um, in came Oli Bazanich 
and Sean Clare initially, although um, I don't know if you've had this before as well, Mark. We're back. We're at the back of the wheat field doing Hearts TV commentary, and we don't have anyone to speak to us there. When you've got your headset on, I can't hear what Scott Wilson's saying. I can just hear myself and Jimmy talking to each other. Sean Clare was listed in the starting eleven. He was in my note to starting. Um, it wasn't until the teams came out and the game started that Jimmy pointed over and said, I don't see Sean Clare anywhere. Um, of course, he had been taken ill shortly before the game and had to be dropped out for Craig Whiten. But it can be a little embarrassing and frustrating when you're miles away from anyone so no one can actually let you know that something like that's changed. Nice to see in the communication industry that uh, no one communicates. I've had that for <laughs> 25 years, so I know how you feel. Um, but Jean-Claude did not start, which meant Craig Whiten started. And <sighs> it was pretty dire, to be honest. Why do you think that was? Because they went into the game after a really good second-half performance at Hamden. <sighs> there was just nothing. And the thing with the first half, so the first half was poor hearts are very poor rangers were decent in possession but they weren't doing anything in the final third they weren't penetrating hearts at all as well so it was hearts poor in the ball but organized rangers better on the ball but not doing anything in the final third and hearts basically just gifted rangers two goals probably only two clear chances they had in the first half craig whiten just caught on the ball rangers robbed it slipped it through to jermaine defoe finished comfortably Second goal, pretty similar scenario. Oli Bozanic caught on the ball, albeit maybe Arnold Jim shouldn't have passed him in his position, but just too slow, robbed of possession. Rangers played it through quickly. Ryan Jack slipped it in, and that goal felt like it was pretty decisive anyway. Then the start of the second half, oh, you know, we, we had this Ibrox terrible performance in the first half. That game we were lucky it was only 2-0 at Ibrox, to be fair. And you're just thinking, right, let's just react at the start of the second half. Let's just show something. Show that the team have had a have had a talking to at the break and they're going to come out and at least show some fight to give these fans some kind of... something to be enthusiastic over. But it just started again. And, and people have said that the corner... The ball was moving on the corner kick for the Rangers' third goal. And it was. Don't get me wrong. It was an illegal corner. But the majority of the Hearts players in the box wouldn't have noticed that. There's no excuse for then not being able to defend a simple ball over from the left. A good cross, it has to be said, but a Rangers player just runs in at the back post and taps it, and it's 3-0, and the game's over, and fans start to head for the exits. You know, you're know, you talking five minutes in the second half, and gaps started appearing in the main stand, and all you could hear throughout the game was the Rangers fans. It was just depressing. There was nothing from the Hearts end at all, nothing from the Hearts players, and you know, the consolation is kind of irrelevant. I mean, Rangers had basically stopped playing. They didn't need to do anything by that point. They'd comfortably won. And the thing is, Mark, and the biggest worry is, I don't know if Rangers got out of second gear at all. They didn't have to. They, they just held possession, and and we just eventually gave them goals. And whether they, they whether it was deliberate that they just thought Hearts will just give us chances if we just don't do anything silly, I don't know. But... It was just dire. It was no game plan. And I couldn't work out what we were trying to do. And this is probably similar to we've had a lot of the season, Mark. You know, the defence lined up fairly standard. I don't think the defending was horrendous by any sense. It was just in between that, in in between the back line 
Anucci Piezo. I didn't know what we were doing at all. Players kept swapping around. Um, there was a lot of fluidity, but w- without any real purpose. I didn't know what we were doing. And just Oli Bazanich was poor. June was poor. Everyone was just so slow on the ball. I just... I, I don't know. And you know, you've seen it yourself this season. Yep. You don't have to have seen this game yep. to, to know what, what I'm talking about. It was just clueless. I, I did tune into sports scene. Uh, I missed the Hearts game. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I tuned in to see if I could maybe see it because I don't mind watching sports scene. <laughs> it's on a reasonable hour over here, unlike um, where you guys are. But what I did see was the analysis of the game. And it was Michael Stewart and Stephen Thompson. And... They were the, the bit I watched I thought was quite interesting and they were isolating various not incidents but um, passages of the game where hearts were taking the wrong decision or making the wrong decision and there were quite a few and it just looked from what I mean as I say I haven't seen the game so I don't know if this happened all the time you'll be able to tell me but there seemed to be that we've got a big striker let's get it forward to him a lot of the time and you and I were speaking just before we, we, we started this podcast um, about the way that the sports scene were, were kind of isolating certain parts of the game and that Arnold June was a lot of the time within 10, 15 yards of whoever had the ball, usually either a defender or a deep-lying midfielder. But instead of passing it to him and he was unmarked, they'd go long for Uchi or they'd play it wide and they'd overhit it. They're, they're trying to either oversimplify it or overcomplicate things depending on on, on the passage of play. Surely, Arnold Jooms, I mean, I, I don't know what his best position is for a start, but it doesn't matter. Surely he is a better option as a passer of the football than a defender, with the exception maybe of John Souter, but you, that becomes too obvious too soon. Uh, and by the way, if Derby were to offer five million, I'd be biting your hand off for that right now. Um, that was a, the, the talk of the last 24 hours. So the whole let's go long to Uche thing seemed to happen too often. And it, but it's a game plan that's, that's easy for, for the opposition to deal with. So, so that's an issue. Um, Hearts midfield, Bozanic, Lee, it turned out to be Whiten, Mulraney and, and, and Jume. I mean, that's soft. That, that's just soft. There's no spine there. And I know we missed Haring. Something else I said to you just before we started this, um, the Amoruso Let's It Run YouTube account had an On This Day a couple of days ago, and it was Mike Galloway scoring a goal. And he is someone that we, or his position, is someone that we've really needed and we don't have. Him, Colin Cameron, and Paul Hartley, I'd group them all the same. The attacking midfielder that's going to get you goals. Who is that player for Hearts right now? I don't think we have one, do you? No. <laughs> I think the middle of the park is a big issue. There's very little... There's a lot of the same, isn't there? It's it's very pedestrian. There's a lot of... And, you know, Haring, I think, has been a really good find um, as that holder. But the worrying thing as well is without Haring, there's very... He's actually often the one, and I, I said it um, after the semi-final as well, he's often the one who actually looks for a forward pass. But he's the the sitter. Um, Arnold Jim for me, I always I always liked him to have the freedom to be kind of box to box. Um, but that that comes with goals, Laurie, and he doesn't provide the goals. No, uh, well, 
Not at the moment, certainly. I think he's he's not been too bad in the past. But I think the problem with the likes of Bazanich, Doom, um, Lee, all these especially, certainly the way they're playing, is it's so pedestrian and it's so too too much of the same, too much sideways. Um, and, and I mean, it's summed up with the goals, just people hesitating on the ball and Rangers closing us quickly. Rangers moved the ball much better than us for, for as much as they didn't need to get out of second or third gear. They had good possession. They held the ball well. And their movement and their passing, it was just a, they were a better team than us. We didn't look like we had much in the way of ideas. And I think, I, I think was it possibly, it was, um, I think it was maybe Joel Sked uh, of... Scotsman who said earlier in the week about one thing Hearts Hearts aren't maybe a long ball team the stats suggest that they're not a long ball team but maybe they should embrace that because it might be a better way to actually try and get through teams because we do try and give the ball to Uchi Egpiezu but we're giving it to him with so much work to do because he's not got anyone around him that's so, the key that's the key he's got, he's got to have someone buzzing around yeah, him someone can, that it doesn't need to, for him to take a touch um, he can lay it off uh, like to control it, he, he can lay it off with his first touch because there's someone that's buzzing around him. I don't think we have that. We need to learn to either have that or find a different style yes, because there's no I point in lumping it long if there's no one there. Yeah, we're basically relying on him trying to bundle his way or or get through centre backs and potentially someone else who's dropping in because we don't have. He's so isolated, and it was funny. One of our few chances um, in the first half possibly, I wrote, it was a half chance anyway, was a ball from the back, I think it was actually Zlomal who'd hit it forward right over the top, Uchik Bezu actually won a flick on and Craig Whiten ran onto it behind the Rangers defence and he couldn't quite get his shot away cleanly, he hit it kind of well wide in the end but that was just a keeper flick on and in behind the defence and sometimes you know, if, if, if Uchik can, if you can work on his heading and work on someone um, being able to run off him, then maybe that will work. But we certainly don't play as a traditional direct team. We get the ball forward to the striker far too early and we don't have any support. So, again, it was just a similar story, which is frustrating. And We repeat ourselves every single week. We do, yeah. And, and it's boring, what, it's what boring talking about it. <laughs> I, I know, I know. So, so what, I'd, what I'd like to do at the end of the season, once all the, the kind of dust has settled and after the cup final, I'd, I'd like to do a kind of a wrap-up around the funnel podcast uh, for our final one of the season. Um, just with from a kind of report cards perspective and, and go through players mm -hmm. and yeah. coaching staff. And I'm sure we'll do that. But the reason I bring that up just now is because if I was to just to completely um, summarize the season in two sentences, it would be too predictable and too slow. Now, obviously, we can go a lot further into that. But I think right now that's that's what we're bringing up most weeks, and the the good times are the exception rather than than the norm. The other thing I think is going to be interesting, and I, I want to kind of give you um, not so much an analogy, but um, it's, it's not a role play either. If you are going for a job, or if you, I think more, if you're trying to justify keeping your job, okay. You would put together whatever job you're in, football manager, um, librarian, lawyer, anything, right? If you, if you kind of have to justify your job, you would put together a kind of plethora of uh, information that would prove or you hope would prove to, to your boss that, yeah, I'm the guy for the job. 
Now, where I'm going here is if Craig Levine was to do that, I'm not sure how he could show progress right now with, with what he's got. Uh, loosely, well, a cup finals progress, yes. But is that enough? Win or lose, I mean, is that enough? That's the issue right now. And, and we can talk about that come the end of the season. I just don't know if he had to produce, which I don't think he will because of the setup that's at Hearts right now. But if he had to produce documentation to prove he was the right guy for the job and to show that there has been improvement year on year or two years on two years, I don't think he could do that right now. And that would be a big concern. Do you agree? I do agree. I do. And um, I thought it was quite interesting because we've got a cup final coming up and we've had a fairly average league season. I've seen some comparisons with, with 2012 and um, obviously Paolo Sergio's reign at Hearts, which was just short of a, a season in charge. And interestingly, match 34 in 2012, Hearts conceded three goals to Rangers and lost comfortably at Tynecastle. Um, Hearts only need two points to equal their points total from that season. Um, however, and we've, we, we have touched on it before, it's very contrasting. Very, very contrasting situations, I think, um, in terms of Paolo Sergio and what he had to deal with and what he had to work with and what he did achieve in comparison to Craig Levine and Hearts this season. I mean, they, they did finish fifth that season and that's certainly, at the moment, looking maybe not unlikely, but it's going to be a challenge for Hearts to do that. Um, and I think Paolo Sergio in that season, people have to remember that Paolo Sergio came to Scotland and had never managed in this country. You know, obviously, this wasn't his English wasn't his first language, and I, I doubt he'd seen much of Scottish football before. He had to inherit a team in which he couldn't really make any additions. You think there was one signing made, one senior signing made during his reign, and that was Craig Beattie in January. And you know that's not going to be a signing that Paolo has found himself, and it's you know a Paolo Sergio own signing. So he basically had to work with what he had and beat Hibs in every derby, including the Scottish Cup final. Um, did pretty well under very trying circumstances in a team where people weren't getting paid. There was a lot of negative press. Um, I, I can only imagine how the dressing would have been affected, especially given the fact that at least one player left because of the the um, the I guess the the lack of salaries being consistently paid into accounts. So I think it's a difficult one to compare with, um, even if you look at the points total and the league positions, and they're very very similar. Um, I think Craig Levine's got quite a lot to work with. He's signed a lot of players. And if you look at the, especially the Scottish Cup run, I, I, it's hard to, if we don't win this cup, it's very hard to look at it as any sort of achievement given what we've done to get there. Beating it's not, it's a, not, a, new, yeah. a newly promoted Livingston side, struggled past them at Tynecastle, beating a non-league side at Tynecastle, struggled past a side who were, basically at the, that time bottom of the second tier and then beating another second tier team. I mean, it's it's only one top flight team in there and we struggled in that game and that's a newly promoted top flight team. I, if we end up with Scottish Cup runners up, I don't think there's any achievement in that, to be honest. I've said a few times on this podcast, it's, it's very hard to, to give a, an, a, a kind of overlying 
view of the season until the season's over. Because we're recording this on kind of Wednesday morning, my time, Wednesday afternoon, your time. The Premier League in England and the title race will become a heck of a lot clearer today. Mm-hmm. If Manchester City win at Manchester United, then I think they'll win the title because they'll be fav- well, they are favourites. If they don't, then it's it's game on. But we we can't talk about that right now until this game's taken place. We can do an if that happens, then they do this. It's like if Hearts win the cup, then X. If Hearts don't win the cup, then Y. So it's difficult right now to to talk about it. I, but if you're asking, if you're analysing each scenario, if Hearts don't win the cup, for me, irrespective of reaching the cup final, for the reasons you've just said and for other reasons, the season is not a success. And many will feel, even if Hearts do win the cup final, changes might still be required. That is the big question. That is the big question. Because there's one, there's one uh, you know, we don't know what will happen. Obviously, Hearts could get comfortable beating the cup final. It could be a momentous performance. And if everyone has a brilliant weekend, which is what we hope. But does one potential, a one-off performance, a single game, you know, if, if, if Hearts play the game of their lives, set like have a nightmare, there's an early red card for... Because let's be honest, I, Neil Lennon is getting absolutely slaughtered by a lot of Celtic fans. Celtic have been poor under Neil Lennon. I'd, I'd rather face a Neil Lennon Celtic team than a Brendan. Oh, 100%. Celtic. But I mean, this is not a good Celtic team. They'll, they will win the league, mainly because of the position they were in when Neil Lennon took charge. Um, and they've obviously won the, the Betfred Cup, but they are playing poor, poor stuff. But, they're scraping through let, games and they're drawing a lot of games nil-nil. So this, if let, we beat Celtic... Okay. Go on, go on. Let me put this <laughs> succinctly, if possible. Um, if if Hearts, right, okay, Celtic are beatable, definitely. But I I don't know if I trust Hearts to be the team that could beat them. Oh, I'm not I'm not saying it. Regardless of what happens between now and the 25th of May, Celtic will go into the game as the likely winners, and even the most optimistic Hearts fans would say the likely outcome is that Celtic will win the trophy. But all, all I'm saying is, if nothing else changes, if nothing else improves outside that cup final, does does a, does a performance in that, or even, a, even, it might not even be a performance, oh, does, does a result in that know. really change things? I, I don't know. No one does. No one does. But I said it last week, and I'll, I'll reiterate what I said. He's going nowhere if he wins the cup. I mean, the only way he would go if Hearts won the cup is if he went on his own accord. Because he ain't getting sacked. No chance. You don't sack someone that's just won the cup when, in essence, it's the only realistic piece of silverware you're going to have a chance of winning every season. Forget the League Cup, because it's a Diddy Cup until we win it again. Um, So... And, and this is where this is when I want to go back to to what I said earlier about show me your progression, show me why you deserve to keep the job, not just Craig Levine but anybody. Okay, what have you done? What, what, how can you justify it? Well, if I'm Craig Levine, I take the Scottish Cup in when we plant it down with the maroon and white ribbons and go, there you go, and I've got no argument against that. 
you can come back at me and say, well, you weren't playing very well. You finished sixth in the league. You finished X points behind Hibs with a, a budget. Your Edinburgh Derby record uh, was was mixed. Um, I'm like, yeah, and here's a trophy. <laughs> and and it, it's hard. Honestly, it's hard to argue against that because we, uh, we had that thing. We're still looking for anybody that would that would rather have Craig Levine gone than the trophy. And I'm glad of that because there shouldn't be anybody out there um, with that opinion. But what do you think the what do you, what do you think the straw poll would be of 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 Hearts fans if if it was a simple question okay if it was a poll has the season been a success if they win the Scottish Cup what percentage do you think would say yes and what percentage do you think would say no it's it's a difficult question but what I would say is from you know, just chatting to Hearts fans and being out after the game. Um, on, on Saturday, I think regardless of the cup final, I think more people would want a change of management at the end of the season than would want to keep Levine. And I say that Understand. If, if Hearts win Understand. the cup, because even and that's just from that's that's not necessarily a a majority vote, but from people I speak to, and even someone I know who has been a huge backer of Levine until even even just the last few weeks, even he said win the cup. I still want him gone, and we just we're not progressing. And the thing is, if we play poorly and lose every game before the cup final, if we have a kind of a stodgy but keep ourselves in the cup final performance, um, you know maybe Celtic are having an off day in front of goal. It's nil nil. You're at a point where say there's five minutes left of the cup final. Hearts are somehow win it at nil nil, and you're looking at it going, if Celtic nab a goal here, this is a terrible season. He's definitely sacked. What if you say, oh, but a deflected yeah. goal at the other end? Exactly. It's, it's too much of a fine margin to say that can't be the difference between having a good season. And, and I know. And the, the, I but it will can, be. It will be. I know, but I think we can win the cup and appreciate that and have a wonderful day if we did it and celebrate that and remember it for a long time because it's a trophy and still then be able to take stock and go, right, but in terms of moving forward, that was poor. We're not improving on the football side. League results aren't good. So I think there's still an argument for that, that you could say, well, we can win the cup and, and appreciate that achievement on the day and what it, all that it brings and the glory and the celebrations and still be able to, you know, weeks later, you know, however long afterwards when that's died down, just sit down and look at the cold hard facts, how we've done, where, are, where we are compared to our budget, who's, you know, that type of thing. I just, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it has to be black and white. We don't win the cup. We're terrible. He's gone. We win the cup. It's all brilliant. He stays. I, I don't think it has to be that black and white. No, I, I agree with you. And win the cup. It's all brilliant. He stays. It's not all brilliant. I mean, winning the cup would be great. Here's one. If I offered you at the start of the season, third place finish in a cup semi final, or a cup win and sixth, you're going to take the cup win, aren't you? Yep. 100%. Yes, everybody is. Everyone is, so that's what, I, and that's it's 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 interesting. You you bring up that with with five minutes to go, and it's either the, a great season as far as winning the cups concerned, maybe not so much the league, or or a terrible season and and everything's miserable. If it's nil nil with five minutes to go, um, but I, th- this is a this is a hard one. This is a hard one because of the apathy, and that and and that's. That's the thing. I, Rangers, Rangers won because they were better than us, but they were also hungrier than us. I hate when teams outfight 
my team. That that should be the one given. That the players should be desperate to play for the jersey and and fight for everything and come off with their shirt soaking in sweat. And I just I hate feeling apathy about my team because it has been in the minority over the years. I've been pissed off because they've been shite on many occasions. But I've kind of thought, you know what? I can. There's maybe a way out of this. I don't know what's next for Hearts right now because it's like we spoke about last week with the two goalkeepers. I'm, I'm maybe coming round more towards Bobby's Lamal, but you can't just get rid of someone if, if you don't like them. You've brought them in and they've been a failure. And Was it Hearts Rant or, or one of the Twitter accounts put a, an entire list of Craig Levine's signings up? And he's probably had a 50-50 success rate. And to be honest, that's probably not bad. Because most managers would probably take that. Um, Brendan Rodgers had some rubbish signings at Celtic, but it's the ones that he signed that were good that carried the team. And that's, this is an argument for another day. It's not for today about maybe going through the, the Hearts signings and see who was a success and who was a fail. And he's had to come out and say, you know, we're probably only going to add maybe three, possibly four uh, in the summer. Because you can't just keep adding seven or eight. I mean, I, I don't know how many of his say, signings this season have been a success, but it's not it's not been good enough. And he's got to carry the can for that. But as I say, if he sh- shows up at my office, if I'm on Budge, the Monday after the Cup final on the 27th of May, plugs the Scottish Cup down, he's got maroon and white ribbons on it. Uh, I'm not getting rid of him. Moving on to matters uh, a little more light-hearted um, last time on the back of talking about Christoph Berra's incredible heading record this season um, incredible record winning aerial duels and the fact that you, you know, say what you want about the ball at his feet but ball in the air there's probably not any other player you'd want around than the heart skipper to, to win that um, so we asked about your favourite player traits or idiosyncrasies as well so it could be a quality the player has in terms of footballing ability or little things that they did with the ball or in challenges but also maybe little things off the ball like Mark mentioned Henry Smith uh, puffing out his cheeks as he booted the ball up the park as if it was a big part of of getting more distance on that kick so we've had some really good um, comments on this and I'll I'll admit I couldn't think of any at the top of my head but I've read some of them like that that's a good one I didn't think of that yeah really good ones so uh, let's go through some of them now so Simi1874 he actually said he very much liked Mark's example about Big Slim of course Dave McPherson winning free kicks and he said that Presley definitely learned from him as did Webster from Elvis and Berra even had Berra even had one against Rangers on Saturday get in front of the man and fall over never a free kick but got it every time and I used to call it the, the Presley swan dive you, you you take the ball into the corner and just you know just sit there just cover it cover it make sure they couldn't get into you just wait for any sort of touch from the striker and fall on top of the ball and and often he would actually just pick the ball up waiting for the free kick and the referee didn't have much choice really but to give it and I've seen it happen quite a lot of times since, but certainly from my point of view, it's what I always remember um, when I first remember seeing that manoeuvre was Stephen Presley doing it, taking the ball in the corner and basically diving and winning a free kick, but it, it worked pretty much every time. Eamon Bannon was, was another one. I'm just thinking 
Um, I, I obviously read most of the ones that, that came in, and uh, they all brought back memories. The Alan McLaren red face <laughs> certainly brought back a lot of memories. And it, I'm like you, it kind of triggers things. Eamon Bannon had an interesting running style. It was like it was like a quick duck. <laughs> Imagine a hungry duck chasing a bit of bread. <laughs> well, can... it, it, it would waddle. Yeah, I mean, he, it wasn't a glide. By the way, he, he's still one of the best crossers of a football I've seen. Well, Kevin Kevin Fallon actually said Bannon's arm in the air celebration after scoring was one of yes. his favourite his favorite yes. sights, way ahead of Shearer's poor man's copy. That's what Kevin Fallon says, which is a very good one to highlight. I like him, Bannon, and uh, he's obviously been in the press room. I, I, I don't know if he still does the, the Opta stats and goes to the Hearts and the Hibs games, but Grumpy Eamon was was it was always good company. Um, he could be miserable, but he was fun to watch. And you you kind of thought you thought it was a bit like Walter Kidd. You thought to yourself when well, you showed up at a game and this bald guy who's clearly in his thirties and the wrong the wrong end of his career. But it just it, it, I don't know if it was just me, just from memory, not looking at anything or anything. Um, I just he, he kind of had this weird gait when he when he ran, um, but by God he could put a good cross in. G mentioned one, and you you might remember this. I wasn't. I it didn't spring to mind. He says uh, Rudy always hopped on one leg when he first yes, entered he the field of play. Yes, on match he did. Day. That's that's correct. John Colquhoun was always last out the tunnel with the the back of his shirt tucked um, untucked, and Rudy would always do that hop. That's right. Yeah, good, good knowledge. Good that's, remember. That's a good, uh, good memory. Yeah, thank you for that one, G. Um, Daniel McIver says Robbie Nielsen and the way he was Scottish Rory Delap as we basically had a corner yep. whenever he took a throw in, um, which is a good one. Of course, is it's one of the first memories I have of finding out about Robbie Nielsen was in the old Jambo magazine, and um, they'd have a feature. I think he was about eighteen at the time. Um, it wasn't one of the ones I wrote, was it? Uh, I don't know. I, I I honestly can't. I'd have to dig out. I think they're in my <laughs> parents' attic. But um, there was this... Got well, know, got well paid for them back in the day. That's why Hearts ended up in administration. <laughs> they paid their contributors was, far too much. It was, it was all down to you, Donkey's giant... And, and the rest of them. A... Whoever, whoever was doing it. Anyway, <laughs> getting, um, agreeing to a cost and actually getting paid was two totally different things, as a few of the people who subsequently worked under Romanov would uh, testify <laughs> to. Um, but yeah, I just remember there was a piece on Robbie Nielsen and I think there was just an image of him standing at one half of the pitch, like looking over um, with with ways of the pitch to say that he could throw it all the way in. But that was it was it was mainly focused on the fact his throwing was um, was was huge. How many times have you mentioned something over these thirty-one episodes, and it's taken us somewhere we never even thought we were going to go? I'm going to take you to cafe, but based on what you've just said. I don't know why it made me think of this, but okay. I'm going to take you to Café Rouge okay. in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you even know if it's still there, is it? On, is it Castle Street or Frederick or Hanover? It's one of them. Um, the French kind of bistro. It's still there, yeah, still there. Okay, okay. So there was a new magazine that came out, and it would have been about the time of the Jambo magazine. It was a Scottish football magazine called Fitball. It maybe lasted three or four episodes, if that. So I was writing for the first episode. So they were seeking ideas and whatever. So I said, here's an idea for you. Uh, head of a Hearts Hibs game. I uh, was good friends with Stefan Adam. So I said to him, 
would you be up for doing a piece with Jean-Marc Bocco, uh, of who was at Hibs at the time? Because I was at Hibs the next again week. So I said, I can ask if it's something you're up for doing, we can do it. We'll take you to Café Rouge and we'll do a, a kind of all the lines piece. Cut a long story short, Boko agreed to it. Steph agreed to it. We went to, we went to Café Rouge and the magazine provided a photographer. So we were in this area set aside to, to one part. So there's, there's lunchtime diners now. That's, that's a posh part. So you're, you're Stockbridge Mafia, um, you're, you're Millionaire <laughs> Row, um, the, the wife and the husband who clearly got shitloads of money are all in there enjoy, enjoying their lunch. So we're sitting chatting away and I'm getting stuff for the article. And then the photographer's like, I've got an idea. So Steph's like, yeah. So he brought out two CU Jimmy hats. Um, so he got them both to wear it, but he wanted them to kneel on the table. Uh, so we put two tables together. So we, one knelt on one, one knelt on the other. He then proceeded to disappear. He said, give me two minutes. So he disappeared. Came back with two baguettes. I'm like, oh, Jesus, where's this going? So he wanted them, he wanted them to kind of attack each other with baguettes. <laughs> and me, meanwhile, the Stockbridge Mafia are like, oh, dear, what's going on? And um, so they were pretend playing, and he was getting some photos. And then Steph swung and hit him. He hit <laughs> by mistake. And the, I don't know if the photographer, he didn't, he didn't use it, but Jesus, I'm thinking I'm just kind of curled up and have nothing to do with this. If Snapper's like, yeah, bring it. The Stockbridge Mafia are like, no, this is the disgrace. The waitresses are looking on going, what on earth is going on here? Um, yeah, so that from a Robbie Nielsen long throw to a <laughs> Stefan Adam inadvertently battering Boko with a baguette. There's today's story. Have some of that. Um, Amaruso later on actually said the Robbie Nielsen style of controlling a football nicely represented in a picture of his mate after a few jars. And um, <laughs> it looks like he's doing a kind of a, th- a, th- a thriller dance or something, Michael Jackson style. I'm, I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but I've I've retweeted it on the uh, on the um, around the funnel Twitter account. Anyway, uh, that's all I'm going to say on that one. Um, Stevie Morris says Willie Johnston always chirping at the crowd. Um, air away, some air fan shouting when he was taking a throw in. Hey, you junkie, got any drugs? His <laughs> reply is, aye, how? You want to buy some? <laughs> bit, bit before my time and yours, I think, that one. But um, always appreciated. Um, that, that would have been with the Renault or the Alexander's sponsored jerseys um, oh, yeah. back in the day. 82, three, four. Uh, your old pal Whitburn Hart says... Oh, greetings. Thomas Flogo was an amazing player for us, which I think we can all agree. Um, but the way he used to tackle and win the ball back was amazing. It was the first thing I thought of when you asked the question on last week's show. Um, Stefan Boyd also says Flogo's tackles were something else. He could slide in and scoop the ball in one movement. Then he would leave the opponent on the ground whilst he burst forward uh, with the ball in tow. And uh, Grumpy Dad, year Grumpy Da is his Twitter handle, also says the Thomas Flogel sliding hook tackle, he'd somehow slide yeah. in, scoop the ball away from the opponent. So uh, three different shouts for that, and that is a good one. I, I did, he was such a versatile player, Flogel. He was kind of one you could never figure out. And he often played, I think it was probably often right back that you saw that hook tackle quite a lot, because he played in that position a fair bit in his maybe last two years or so. Um, but yeah, what what a player was he was, and what a versatile player he was. Loved him, and it's it's got me thinking about that tackle. 
it was an all-in-one movement. It was like three things in one. But it, 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 it kind of, it was seamless. The way he would go down, get the ball, come back up, play the pass, all in one, all in one movement. But a super lad as well. That, that cup-winning team in 98 was, was magnificent um, because it did something that hadn't been done for, for 42 years. But it's, it's funny. I did a piece on Talk Sport a couple of nights ago about the issues that Man United have been having and, uh, and, and other teams that are expected to do better but, but aren't. And the, the, the whole camaraderie of, of the team. If you get players that are, big, that are pals, you know, United right now, there's Sanchez in one corner, Pogba in another corner, Somebody else in another corner. It's fractious. I, I don't recall one person of that 98 cup winning team um, being a bit of an outsider. They, they were all, there was Daffy's like Kitongo and Poynton who did his videos and all the time. Um, there was the, the, the leaders, the guys that you would respect like Davy Weir and it just, it, and then Gilles Rousset and, um, just a, a wonderful kind of team, but the, the whole ethos was there. They all bought into it um, from Jim and Billy's style uh, to the work rate and, and the work ethic as well. And uh, it's, it's hard to compare and contrast with the team that we have right now because it's got some positives. It's got some good things, but I don't know. It's miles away as far as um, where we hope to be uh, is, is concerned. Another player that we're maybe missing that we can reminisce about is Callum Patterson. And Erin Fraser says, Callum Patterson's ridiculous celebrations. Um, and they were always a bit of fun. And I think one of my favourite derbies in recent years was the the one at Easter Road. Uh, the, the first one after the, the, the relegation derby, um, the relegation party that they'd arranged at Tynecastle that went awry uh, when Callum Patterson scored two headers. And he did his ridiculous, um, I think he did a ridiculous knees up kind of celebration, I think, in front of us, in front of the, the West Stand where, where I was housed in commentary. Um, just thoroughly enjoyed that game. And he was a player, although he was a, 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 he was a bit of an oddball at times, he could still can't time down the position. You know, <laughs> a nice you just, oddball. He just loved, but he just, he just had such a great character. And for big games like that, you knew he would want to turn up and he'd be all about getting on the winning side. I'm not sure there's been a better header of the football. Oh no, no. At, at Hearts, I'm not talking about defensive clearances because we've had a fair few good yeah, defenders yeah, that have, yeah, better, that have yeah. put their head in front, yeah, head in front of people's boots. But as far as finishing off deliveries, I, I I struggle to think off the top of my head of anyone better. I think it was interesting. I remember, we played Everton um, pre-season, and. One of the things I thought that really showed, and I, I said about Patterson a couple of years before he moved on, I said, I think he'll go and play in the top flight in England, not necessarily because of his overall technical ability, but because he's so suited to it. He's so big and strong and good in the air. And they love that down south. They love that mm-hmm. kind of, and I mean, we played Everton and he scored in that game and his goal, if you, if you capture what he scored, he was just head and shoulders above the big Everton defenders, the Jagielkas, etc., just powering the ball in. It's like, even against top flight, what do you do against something like that? What, what can you do? He's such a good leap. He's tall, he's strong, and he's he's good at jumping, and he's good at directing his header when he gets there. It was just such an important trait to have. And God, what we could do with him in the box at the moment when we've got corners coming in there. The modern-day versatile, Mr. Versatile, like mm-hmm. Thomas Flogel, because 
I don't know if Cardiff and Neil, Neil Warnock does. He loves he loves Scotland. He's got a place in Scotland, and he keeps his, his eye on Scottish football. And I don't know if he bought Callum as a right back because he's. I don't know if he ever was a right back. We played him there, but there's better defenders out there. Um, I mean, got to remember Gareth Bale started as a left back and then moved forward. So he played in midfield to begin with for Cardiff, and then ultimately this season they they before they signed Nias and the tragedy with Salah, they 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 played him as a striker. And that's where Scotland played them um, in in San Marino, as we well know, having put bets on him to score goals. <laughs> um, I'll run through a few more. We've got um, Feg Bissett says Perry Kitchen continually adjusting his shorts down the way. <laughs> I don't don't recall that one, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, Preston Pan's heart <laughs> Sean Clare disappearing when the going gets tough a trait which we discovered on Saturday is not unique among the current hearts players uh, but seriously it has to be the way John Cahoon wore his shirt half in half out his yeah. shirt many a jambo my age copied that in local parks um, and James Christie kindly got in touch with a picture of John Cahoon with his shirt tucked out the back and tucked in the front saying John Cahoon only tucking in the front of his shirt into his shorts as well. It's 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 John Coon, sadly, a player that I didn't get to see as a Hearts fan in the flesh. I was only really getting involved as supporting Hearts in the mid nineties. Didn't go to game till ninety seven, so it was before my time. So he's not a player. He's a player I know very well, obviously from tales and and videos, but not one that I ever got to see. But he is one who people rave about. It's just it was just incredible to watch that how good he was and yeah. just how good he how direct and skillful he was with the ball at his feet, just something we don't often see at Hearts. I'd say he'd be my second favourite Hearts player behind Robbo. And when those two were, were on form, I mean I just the, the amount of times it's good looking back at some of the old derbies at Easter Road, which is pretty pertinent because we've obviously got them this weekend and Robbo to uh to to Colhoun or Col- mainly Colhoun to Robbo. Um it's funny, I'll, I'll, I'll let you into a thing. I was watching a goal earlier. You were talking about the illegal corner that Rangers had uh, because the ball was moving. Um, I remember a game, and it, it, maybe, it maybe happened in this game, or maybe it was a Hearts-Celtic game, but I thought it was the Hearts-Rangers game in 91, Hearts' first home game of the season, when Gary Mackay put a cross into the box. Well, it was meant to go in the box, but it didn't get there. And it went over the head of one player and Scott Crabb kind of half... Oh, he volleyed it from about 25, 30 yards out beyond Andy Gorham. I felt, and I didn't see it, in the build-up to that, that Hearts had a free kick and they took it when the ball was moving. And maybe it wasn't that uh, because I only saw the clip from when the ball's played out wide to Gary. So it maybe was that, but that kind of got me thinking. And... Uh, even if you've got a couple more of the idiosyncrasies, would you mind if I just interjected with homework for next week? Because you put up a really good one last week. Feel so free. I think it's my turn. Feel free. It's on the back of John Colhoun's jersey. It's a simple one for you this week. What's been your favourite since you started watching Hearts? Home jersey and your favourite away jersey. Um, my favourite home jersey was the championship winning season with no sponsor. A kind of nod um, to, to the past with the plain maroon with the white collar. But that was outstanding. And my favourite away jersey was the blue and black vertical stripes from the early 90s, which was made by Asics. Those are my two. What are your two? I love when you, you throw yep, yep, me one yep. without any. Um, the championship one is a hard one to get away from because that was cracking top 
Um, I was quite a big fan of the top in the when we turned the millennium turned uh, 99 2000 i quite liked home and away that season they had the the lines on the home top they had lines left and right of the shirt going down i was actually who wearing made, i was who wearing, made that one um would have been olympic sports still um okay, i think yeah i think it was just it was just before we changed it um area mm. um they actually, were dreadful by the way they were absolutely honking because i'm a big lad right? i need a double x that was a shocker I had to go way up. Double X was like a medium. It's like Macron, who do the rugby. Do you mean the, you the, the Olympic sport area, area, one, no, area a, ones? No, area ones were just... I remember speaking to Goggs at the time, uh, the kit man at Hearts, and he was not a big fan of them at all. There's one jersey we had. Now, nowadays, it's breathable material. It was akin to wiping your arse when at school you had that tracing paper, which they claimed was toilet paper. It was about as breathable as tracing paper... You used to wipe your arse with at school back in the day. It was not breathable, the area thing. It was it was shimmering. It was shining. And how players could play in that, the sweat must have been pissing off them. Horrific thing. Anyway. I wasn't I wasn't a big fan either. But that season I quite like with home and away. The away was the one with the um white, but it had lots of the white uh, the maroon lines coming down it as yep. well. Um I always think of I either think of Stefan Adam or I actually think of Darren Jackson quite a lot when I see it. Yeah. Um, we yeah. scored a he scored a cracker at um Pitaudry to win the game two one. Um he liked his shirt hanging out as well quite often, he Darren did. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um I have to say I quite liked last season's shirt, the home shirt. We had a nice we had a more the, the Puma one. The no the it was Umbro last season, but we had the traditional oh. collar. You know this season we don't have the full on traditional white collar, but last season's I thought looked quite smart, especially on maybe like a Lafferty. He had to like to do it up properly. So, anyway, tell us about your kits uh, at Around the Funnel on Twitter or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. I'm going to quickly go through some um, other suggestions we got. Uh, CBG uh, says Jim Bet taking corners from both sides with either foot. Derek Ferguson and his short sleeve top for one uh, for one half and long sleeve top for the other. Um, Fashionu and his inability to pull his socks right up, and the Gary Mackay exaggerated arm as he turned. <laughs> Those are magnificent. It's some good, they, it's some good they, they, suggestions. They, yeah, they just paint they paint a wonderful picture. I remember the Justin Fashionu socks. The referee's like, get your socks up. <laughs> I don't, even, I don't even know if he wore shin guards. If he did, there were those stupid tiny oh, things. Oh, the little tiny ones. I can't, yeah. can't imagine they'll protect much of your shin. No, Ga- Gary's arm. That's a good one. Yeah, he kind of... he, he kind of It's like he's got his eyes shut and he's trying to find out where the nearest wall is. He's got his... <laughs> or, or when you're swimming and you're doing the backstroke, your arm's kind of outstretched so you know when you're, you're going to touch the wall. That's a good one. I didn't know the, the long-sleeve, short-sleeve one's an interesting one. Ah, uh, yeah. Again, before my time seeing Derek Ferguson, yeah. so not one that I would be able to okay. confirm or deny. Um, Preach says, before Nieme took a goal kick, he always kicked his left boot twice on the goalpost, maybe to cle- clear the mud from his studs, maybe for luck. Henry might kick the post as well, but that's a good I one think for a lot of, I think a lot of keepers like to do that. I remember, mm-hmm. I always think of Bartes doing it a bit too long, trying to delay a penalty. Um, mm. uh, Joyce McPhee says Robbo, that smile when he scored. Mm. 
Lawson says Andy Webster, Gorgie rules Easter Road, biting the badge. Beautiful. Uh, that was when Webster <laughs> drilled in the goal. That was under Paolo Sergio and just put the yeah put the badge from the shirt in his mouth and celebrate in front of the Hearts fans. JB says Jamie McDonald's pre-penalty routine that would always end with him jumping up and touching the bar Sa- saved a fair few too. And do you know what? Do you know what one of the the saves was, which is kind of pertinent given what that player went on to do. Harry Kane. Yeah. Nil nil. Yep. Harry Kane's debut. He'd been on loan at Millwall, and um, yeah, people talk about Harry Kane missing a penalty um, in his Spurs debut. He didn't. It was saved by by Jamie McDonald. I recall that season as well. I don't know if it got to the very end of the season, but certainly for most of the season, if not all, Spurs did not fail to score at home against anyone. I remember that. that. I don't don't remember if it made it to the end of the season, but I remember towards the end of the season, people had highlighted the fact that they'd scored against everyone who they'd come up against, apart from Hearts. Uh, Obviously, slightly... um, (laughs) Slightly meaningless, given the 5-0 win at Tynecastle, but we'll, we'll still take it. Um, here's a good one I liked. Again, it was CBG. He said, Ian Black in the cup final at Danny Granger's penalty. He couldn't watch, so he turned around and faced Andy Webster and waited for his reaction and the crowds before setting off to celebrate. And there's a great angle from the other side of the pitch looking behind Danny Granger as he takes it. And all you do is see Ian Black um, kind of hands hands on his um, hands on his thighs facing forward with his back to Danny Granger. And you see that quite often in football, certain players or managers who can't watch, you know, they turn away when it's a penalty kick. We've also got Jick saying Paul Hartley standing with his hand on his hip like he was a little effing teapot. Um, <laughs> Henry puffing his cheeks was a personal favourite though. Pics, pictures exist of me recreating this in the yellow bukta top. Maybe it was Umbro, but who cares? Good times. That's from uh, Jick on Twitter. The buck, the buck to tops were weren't the best made because the buck to logo used to come off pretty easily. It was this kind of circle with a V underneath it, a couple of V's from what I remember, and no, not not a well made kit, but good memories. Buck to jerseys and might have might have <laughs> copiers, might have won the league and might have won the cup. No, they didn't. So thanks everyone for those suggestions. We got some really good feedback on that one. Um, some things I'd not noticed or heard of before and some that just kind of brought back memories it was really good to read so appreciate everyone's comments um for that one and hopefully uh, we'll get some more comments ahead of next week's show on your favorite shirts so mark i've i've managed to drag out the show as much as possible to this point because i don't really want to talk about Hearts' next game which is easter road on sunday lunchtime in the edinburgh derby it's an Edinburgh derby, so it always means something, but I've seen that tickets have gone to general sale at the moment, which um, I, I'd hope it would sell out still. It's not often that you don't sell out the away away end Easter Road or, or certainly the Hibs end at, at Tynecastle. But going into this game, Mark, I mean, Hibs obviously won at Tynecastle. It was a game which Hearts will feel they should have at least got a, a draw from, but Hibs were decisive. I thought they played us well tactically in that game and they got in front, they frustrated us well and Paul Heckenbottom has been doing a, a very good job. Nine unbeaten in the Premiership um, held Celtic at the weekend just past um, and Hibs are three ahead with four games to go. A, a victory here at Easter Road you would feel would consign Hearts to sixth spot. Oh, done and dusted. Uh, I think Hearts have to win 
because I don't know how many other points Hearts are going to pick up the way we're playing between now and the end of the season, plus the goal difference, even a win, we stay sixth, albeit we're level on points. Anything less than a win for Hearts, and for me, it's a sixth-place finish this season. Can Hearts go there and and inflict Paul Heckingbottom's first league defeat? Yes. Will they? No. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what can we do here? Because, obviously, when, when Hearts went there at the end of December... They won one nil. It wasn't. It was a hard-working performance with one moment of genius from Ollie Lee. Wonderful strike, of course, to win the derby. But it was against the Hibs team who were, although I think they'd been on a, a bit of decent form, there was a lot of doubts about them. Neil Lennon was clearly not comfortable with things at that point. So I think a lot of people went into that game thinking we can take them here and. It was a game where Hearts, and you, you said a couple of times, Hearts did more with less of the ball than Hibs did with more of it, etc. Similar story, but roles reversed at Tynecastle, I think, when when Hibs won 2-1. Um, but they've got a good feeling around Easter Road at the moment. So what can we do here? Because I don't think we can do what we did in December. I don't think it'll work this time around. Well, Hibs were rubbish in the first hour, I would suggest. Certainly the first half of that game. I remember it well. Because I was taken aback by how poor they were. And Hearts managed the game well, uh, which I thought was important. Now, they'd gone into that game on the back of three consecutive draws, albeit two of them were against Rangers. But they'd beaten Hibs, uh, they'd won at Hamilton, and they'd only lost once um, in about eight games. But they came slow out the blocks. And that was actually a game that Hearts... They didn't race out the blocks, but they, they were all right. They, they, they controlled the game. Um, and and they, they played pretty well. Now, Whitaker, I think, had the shot that came really close. It hit yeah. one post, maybe hit both posts. A good save, actually. A good touch by Doyle. It was a stunning, t- stunning save in that game. Um, I, I've learned over the years that derbies are notoriously hard to predict. And that f- it, it is one of these that you, you can use the cliché um, form goes out the window to an extent because if Hearts play the way that they have played of late, Hearts will lose and hence that's why I think the 13-10 to 10, currently on offer for Hibs will be a lot shorter come kickoff on, on, on Sunday um, Hearts will go with one up and it'll be it'll be a containing job which I don't know, maybe they're better at it I, I find it impossible now to try and second guess what, what Hearts are going to do. I'm just having a look at the the lineup um, from uh, December. So it's going to be a little bit different for him because Uche has never played at Easter Road before. He was unavailable for that game. They went with Claire and Naismith in attack. Um, out of interest, here's the team, by the way. Doyle, back three, Smith, DiCamona, five across, Godinho, Lee, Haring, Jum, Garuccio, and then the two were Claire and Naismith. It's going to be a different Hearts team, and Uche is going to play. So, again, I'm setting it up with, with no clue whatsoever about what's going to go and happen. I remember Zalyukas scored many years ago, and going into that game, I just couldn't see any way whatsoever because Hearts were playing poorly in a build-up to it. But derbies do strange things to players. Uh, hopefully they do some strange things to Hearts players and inspire them to get an unlikely win. But I'd rather have the 13 to 10 if I was trying to make <laughs> some money on on Hibs to win than the 12 to 5 
on an away win. Um, if I was looking for value, probably 12 to 5, the draw, would, would probably be the, the, the pick. But I'd, I, I still think Hibs are, are too big at 13 to 10. That, that's the one that stands out off the page. Well, let's hope Hearts can upset the odds at Easter Road and get a victory which would move them level on points, Webs, um, with three games still remaining. We will be back next week to discuss that game and to discuss Hearts shirts, your favourite Hearts shirts, home and away down the years. So get in touch with those and any other comments and feedback you might have. Tweet at Around the Funnel or email podcast at Scarves Around the Funnel. Dot co dot uk so thanks for joining mark um i'm guessing next time we speak you might have put yourself through 90 minutes of, of a hearts game or, or, or are you busy on sunday sunday i think i'm off because the italian game oh. is saturday again um but it's, it's it's looking like a wee a wee trip to rome's coming up for roma juventus looks like they're sending to that one so uh i might get to rome but i'm still undecided whether i'm not i'm going to get to glasgow for the cup final. Hmm, I don't know. Anyway, I'll see the game Sunday. I'll wear my heart's top and I'll be happy or sad as always. But I love the Edinburgh derby and, and, and hopefully against all odds we can, uh, we can get the victory. But we'll see. We'll see you all next time.